Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to another episode of Friends from Work, a podcast about all things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm Robbie, he's Kyle, and today, returning, we have Other Kyle. (laughs) Welcome back, Other Kyle. (laughs) Yes. He's back. I'm back. (laughs) Guys, welcome Kyle Cousins back to the podcast today. We are excited to have him here to discuss the next film in our rewatch, which is Doctor Strange. Robbie, I have to pause you and say, where are you located right now? (laughs) As of this exact moment, and you know, you might have to check back in with me at the end of the conversation because you know it changes pretty frequently. Uh, But I am in Dallas, Texas. I think you're just contractually obligated. Last time I checked, to just be in a different place (laughs) each time. So as long as it's a few states away, I think you're covered. That's true. Yeah. It truly is a global podcast. It is a global podcast. You know, yeah. We we just wanted to go straight international from the get-go. <laughs> no doubt. Okay, before we jump into Doctor Strange, can I give a leftover about Age of Ultron, please? Please do. Um, I was listening back, and I just wanted to emphasize how cool I think it is, specifically regarding Wanda's powers, how they kind of consistently grow from the time you meet her. Like, I just like this idea that when we see her in Age of Ultron, she's not that powerful yet, but we're going to see this, like, linear progression all the way through to where she's, like, dominating Thanos for a second. And I kind of love that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I'm really excited to talk about Captain America Civil War because I was watching some behind-the-scenes stuff there, and Elizabeth Olsen talks explicitly about how they wanted to deal with the growth of her powers between those two movies. And it's a really interesting point that she makes. Well, if you remember in Age of Ultron, she's like shooting little red things out of her hands and they're cool. But fast forward that to Infinity War where she throws those ships around, right? And then right, all the right. way to Endgame where, you know, the Thanos stuff. But yeah, that's all yeah. I thought about. Great point. Um, I just had kind of one more punctuation mark on Age of Ultron, which is just, I, th- I think after looking back at it after our episode last week, I think that more than any movie in the entire MCU, this is one that that really benefits in a in a real way from a retrospective watch. Like, and we can talk about this because I don't think that's always the case, right? Like, I think sometimes it goes the opposite direction. But I think at the time, you know, there were some negative reactions to that movie, and I think a lot of people felt like it was, you know, a quote unquote placeholder, or it was too busy connecting things and didn't really stand on its own. But I think given what the MCU was becoming and kind of what it is now, I think that in the context of everything, it really is kind of a, I don't know, in, in a way it becomes the heart and soul of the whole thing, of the whole franchise for me and kind of what it represents and what it plants the seeds for 
and even sort of like the, some of the storylines that culminate that have been planted prior to that. So I, I know we talked at nauseum about how much we do love that movie, but I, I think maybe part of why we love it so much at this point is because we have that benefit of hindsight. Well, I agree, and I think that's why it was helpful to do that Saga So Far episode, kind of just to help people get in the right mindset before watching it because of what you're saying is true. The only part I disagree with what you just said is that the most impactful movie for you is Thor Dark World. So this is clearly <laughs> second true. tier at be. that point. But that's as, true. as it should be. That's true. We have to get a Thor the Dark World joke in every episode. That's, that's my our other contractual obligation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the yes. thing is, it's not hard. I mean, when it, a movie, a movie of that <laughs> scope and scale and impact, uh, <laughs> right? It's, it's it just not even saturates really a joke at, at every level. Point. Exactly. <laughs> Kyle, did you have any last thoughts on Age of Ultron before we move on or not? No, I mean, you guys will cover so much in your episode. I think I would just add to the crowd that uh, it's one of it's a top five film for me. I loved I loved Age oh, of Ultron. Wow. It got oh, wow. better. Yeah, it got better with rewatches for me. And um, for, for doing it in the runtime of a film, it accomplished so much when you go back and think about it, like Robbie just said. Um, yeah, I won't get into it because I could I could ramble on this for a while. But I love <laughs> I love the the MCU scope. I love the character development. I love the introduction, of new characters. I love what they. It takes us so far with the Infinity uh, Saga. Uh, when you look back and think about what that movie gave us, it's really kind of crazy to think about. Like when you if you were to it write is. out everything we got from Age of Ultron going yeah. forward, it's a lot. That's. That's so true, and I know we have to move on, but I do want to ask you one question because uh, I, I, I this is the first time kind of on this rewatch that I've even kind of considered this, but there are things about Age of Ultron that I like more and that I actually think are objectively better than the first Avengers film, which is, you know, like widely considered to be, you know, one of the better Heretical. films. This is widely considered, you know, yeah, Heretical. sure. This is widely considered to be one of the worst. <laughs> but I, I wanted your reaction to that, Kyle, since you said this is in your top five. I don't know where the first Avengers film falls, but how would you say that those two stack up against each other? Yeah, so this is a conversation I have a hard time having because just the issue of time, like when the first Avengers came out in 2012, and I think as you guys mentioned in the episode, when you go back, there are just certain things that don't age as well. Right. Uh, and so I will never deny the fact that when event when the first Avengers came out, I lost my mind. Like I went back, I think I saw it three times yes. in theaters. I was just like, this sure. is so epic. We've never sure, got yes. anything like this. So I will never take that away from it. Uh, however... Yeah, Age of Ultron might be close or even edge out the first Avengers uh, on a rewatch or just over the scope of the 23 films because um, it's just also an awesome movie. And But it also has the benefit of new characters and development of characters and just time as far as CGI and all kinds right, of things where right. I my, my overall answer to your question is it's just hard to compare them. Tying in our first ever Marvel-led about the rankings, that's what makes this so difficult for me yeah, is yeah, that, yeah. like, and we and tying in the Star Wars episode we just did, it's impossible to weigh out the cultural impact of a film, like Kyle's saying with the first Avengers, versus just its rewatchability, its standalone quality. What if it's not even trying to be standalone? Like, it's really hard to rank the differences. Yeah. I think the, right. the first Avengers does some things better than Ultron, and then the Ultron does other things better. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's yeah, fair. Agreed. Okay, sorry for that detour. It's just if I can talk about Avengers Age of Ultron, <laughs> I will talk about Avengers Age of Ultron. Um, <laughs> you got to cut but, Robbie off before it gets understandable. crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm fine with it. But that is not why we're here today. We are here today to discuss the first movie in our part three of the rewatch, 
which is Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange was released in 2016. It was directed by Scott Derrickson. And this is interesting because if you look at Derrickson's filmography prior to this, it's almost exclusively horror films. And interesting. What? Yeah. And so he also he wrote this with folks who were also largely known for writing horror films. The exception being Joe Spates, who was a writer on this, also wrote the film Passengers with um, Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence. And he's writing on the upcoming film Dune um, that Kyle and I have kind of geeked out about. Um, but anyway, my, my point is it's, it's kind of an interesting background. A lot of times Marvel pulls from people that have done indie kind of real character-driven films and then, you know, kind of match them with the Marvel machine. We have an amazing cast here, and I, I know we say this all the time that there are great performances, and I think, you know, there is a lot of quality control from Marvel movies in general, but, like, I think that these are some of the best performances that we get from yes. the cast. And so we have Benedict Cumberbatch, Rachel McAdams, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Mads Mikkelsen, Benedict Wong, and, of course, Tilda Swinton in just a fantastic, fantastic performance. Um, fantastic pronunciation, by the way. I just want to throw that out there for Robbie. <laughs> Thank just, you. Those are Thank some you. tough names. Good work. <laughs> I, uh, we, again, just have to point out how absurd Marvel is with their casts at this point. Yeah. I mean, almost every huge, amazing actor has been in one of these movies in some role. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's quickly becoming who hasn't been in a Marvel movie. <laughs> Um, and, (laughs) and we'll, I'm sure we'll definitely circle back to talk about the specifics of those performances. Um, but before we move on, uh, I do want to point out that this film is scored by Michael Giacchino. Uh, this is his first entry in the MCU. And it's also one of my favorite scores in the MCU. Mm. Uh, the other films that he's worked on are the two Spider-Man films. He also did the, uh, the new, (laughs) the new Marvel title card that Kyle wishes did not exist. Um. <laughs> well, it's not that I don't like it. It's just I miss Brian Tyler sure. so much. That's all. I just no, love Brian Tyler. Also, I have a special place in my heart for Michael Giacchino because he did the music for Lost when I was yeah. obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple amazing themes from that. He also did Up. The do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. And I love it so much. So I have a special place in my heart He's worked on a bunch of great Pixar stuff. It's really like it makes a lot of sense that he would do the Spider-Man films in the MCU. The Doctor Strange stuff, though, is like, gosh, it's so good. And I love how he provides this layer that other composers can then add in in later films whenever they want to add a Doctor Strange vibe or whenever he's showing up in a scene. And then you start to hear that in like what Silvestri will do later. The harpsichord yeah. and the Baroque yeah, feel. Yeah. Yes. Oh, man, the track Go for Baroque on here was one of my favorites. Yes. And so, again, I'll plug if you... If you want kind of an intro to some of the to some of the music of the MCU, we do have a playlist available on Spotify called Journey Through the MCU. Go for Baroque is one of the songs on there. Go check it out. All right, rant over. Let's get into the movie. Yeah, great. So I'd love to jump into it here. Um, and Robbie, I'll probably have you in just a couple minutes um, start us into the comics a little bit. Uh, happy, happy. Uh, to I think do that's so. the big. A big <laughs> I, f- I figured you would be somehow. <laughs> Um, I think it's a good place to start with with a new character uh, anytime. But um, yeah, I, the thought I wanted to share to open the conversation is that uh, I think Doctor Strange is super unique as far as an origin story that lands where it does. Uh, and I think it has unique competition in the fact that mm. um, 
if you take Captain Marvel out in our watch order, which we're doing, right. so that's an origin story, not in phase three, um, it's up against uh, uniquely some really good uh, origin stories. You get Black Panther, that is arguably one of the best, if not the best, besides Iron Man, maybe the best origin story. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you get Spider-Man Homecoming, which is a character that we know a lot about, and it was a fresh take. So what's funny to me is that I think Doctor Strange is actually a pretty good origin story, and if you compared it to just the normal run of origin stories, it might rank pretty high. It just happens to be in Phase 3 of the MCU up against a whole bunch of other really great movies. Right. And one of the best two origin stories that we get. Well, and something to add to that, in a way, Black Panther, I mean, it's an origin story, but it also had the luxury of Black Panther being introduced pretty heavily in Civil War. So it didn't have yeah. to carry the Great full point. weight of the origin story. And with Spider-Man, yep. same thing. It was introduced in Civil War. And as you know, we all know about Spider-Man. We know about his origin. So I agree with you, Kyle. It's a really unique a spot point. for this movie to come out with an origin. However, I am also just struck by... At this point, Marvel just knows how to do an origin story. Like right. maybe the timing of it isn't perfect as far as where it falls compared to these other movies, but I am struck by even just an average origin story movie for Marvel is really good. It's just well done at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. And you made a good point because even compared to, to Captain Marvel, this movie has to do a little bit more work because... At least that movie, though it was introducing a whole new character, could rely on some of the work that was done by Guardians. It could rely on our familiarity with the Nick Fury character and with our investment in him. This movie has right. no one. There's no There's no link to anything else in the MCU other than a shot of Avengers Tower and a line recognizing the Avengers. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that it had a harder job to do as an origin story. Well, but this is one thing I love about this origin story is that, yes, Robbie, it doesn't fully tie into the other movies like we're saying, but it still gives us a, an infinity stone, a sure. time stone. So sure. we get some lines and some major references to timestamp this in the saga, which is why I think I like this more than I like Guardians 2. Because at similar oh, times they were coming out, and this one still ties in more than that one. So I kind of got mad at that one. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It kept us plugged into the MCU more so. Right. Than Guardians 2, yeah. See, this is why I love talking to you guys, because I was over here defending Doctor Strange because it's surrounded by all these great movies, and it's, you just made a great point. It, it really is maybe the last true, you know, standalone origin story. Um, this movie, for me, and this is maybe hot takey, actually, I didn't love it when it first came out. It was okay, and I've grown to like it more and more with each rewatch, and that's not always the case for me. Sometimes it goes mm -hmm. down. But right. for some reason, for this one, I enjoyed it a lot more this time. Hmm. So that's interesting, Kyle. So we, where I'm trying to frame the conversation now, and it's funny because we may, I think we're going to land in the same place, but I'm actually coming at it from a different direction hmm. in that I loved it when I first saw it. Hmm. And just total transparency here, we're, you know, we're on the podcast, just uh, the three of us and our... <laughs> You know our huge audience. Um, I'll just I'll just be safe to admit that um, on my rewatch, it it felt wanting to me in some different ways. And I, it's almost one of those things where you go to an experience and you're trying to like you're trying to like self talk a little bit. Like, come on, Kyle, enjoy this more. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And uh, what I came away with realizing was, uh, it's a, I think it's important to remember that when this movie came out somewhat similar to Guardians of the Galaxy where Guardians took us to a new place 
in a new, you know, it was taking us to the cosmic universe and all right. that. Um, I think Doctor Strange does the same. It takes us to the um, to the metaphysical, you know, the, right. the other universe, the multiverse, if you will, right. that had been teased in Ant-Man, um, but we get the full thing. And so the nugget I'll give to our audience is, um, if you're listening, go on YouTube and pull up the second Doctor Strange trailer. And what's funny is that after the rewatch, I went I went back and I watched hmm. one of the trailers during our research for this. I got chills watching the trailer. Hmm. And I'm so thankful because it reminded me of what I loved about this movie, watching it with fresh eyes. Hmm. And it's how I frame our conversation for today is that I think we have to remember that when you saw Doctor Strange the first time, we didn't have anything from Endgame. When you get to Endgame, you've seen the multiverse a bunch of times. You've seen crazy visuals and you've seen trippy you know, time travel and all this, when Doctor Strange first came out, we had none of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When it was being hinted at, that was one thing that was uh, not controversial, but almost, I was anxious to see how it was going to work because of how trippy the visuals were and whatnot, right? Right. It definitely is very yeah. Inception feeling where you watch the trailer and you're like, what is going on kind of thing. Um, oh, I love that you said that, Kyle, because I, I was almost afraid. I know you're a huge Christopher Nolan guy, so I was almost afraid to make that connection, but oh, I'll for just sure. make it now. I think- in adding Robbie to what you said about the music, I thought the score was phenomenal and also reminded me of Inception, where it's oh, yeah, you go from yeah. really loud, bombastic pieces to then like quiet. I couldn't have named the instruments like you guys did, but um, quieter <laughs> moments where I sure. think it has that feel of a Christopher Nolan type film. Well, and one thing no about doubt. the about the score and the visuals together, I mean, the visuals here I think are are kind of like the marquee thing. Like if if you looked at the reviews, like. After this movie, like that's it, which is not to say that there's no substance behind them. I'm not saying that at all, but the visuals are just fantastic. Like, even on a rewatch, like, even you know, to your point, having seen Infinity War and Endgame and Ant Man and the Wasp, where like there's some other trippy, cool stuff, the like that first scene where he's experiencing, you know, yes. whether you call it the multiverse or like the astral plane, is still just bonkers to look at. It's insane. Like, can I add right there that that was one of my notes? I wrote stunning in all capitals and underlined. <laughs> Visually stunning. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that, and that is one of the things with this movie that really is just like I can't look away from that scene. But the pairing of that with what Michael Cicchino is doing, there's this kind of like crazy, creepy choral chanting in the background. Did you notice that? Yes. yes. And it's like it's such a kind of weird, 100%. freaky vibe that's so different from anything else that we've gotten or really anything else I can think of that we've gotten since then. I love we it. We talk about how Marvel movies are not just a genre, they're sub-genres, Marvel action, Marvel comedy, Marvel drama, et cetera. And right. we talk about how they haven't really done Marvel horror. This is another reason why you can tell that this should be the character if they're going to mess with a horror film or a suspense film of some sort. It's going to have to be Doctor Strange. And I think you see precursors of that with what you're talking about, the visuals and the score. You know what I mean? Right. Now, don't discount The Incredible Hulk, Kyle. Yeah, you know, true, true, we... true. That's the, <laughs> a little closer to that. Um, All I wanted to do with the opening piece is just lay out that I do think with the benefit of hindsight, we need to almost turn that part of our brains off hmm. and just appreciate it as much as we can for what it was in, what, 2016? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, appreciate it for what it was then. So to our audience, our listeners, go back and do yourselves a favor. Watch the second trailer. And it will remind you, I think, of what it was doing there. But uh, Robbie, I would love for you to to lay that groundwork a little bit, if you would, from the comics, because um, I think it contributes in a cool way to who the character is going forward. 
Yeah, I mean, one of the things that that uh, my wife always has to listen to me say <laughs> when I watch this movie is is just how impressed I am with the, the breadth of characters that Stanley created. And whenever I'm watching Doctor Strange, I'm like, this is such a weird idea for a superhero. I say that, like, you know, between the Hulk and Iron Man and Captain America, they're all very different, you know, but it's like generally... Stanley would base his stuff in science. And then you have this just like, again, kind of bonkers idea. And paired with that, you have Steve Ditko, who is most famous now for co-creating Spider-Man with Stanley. Um, but Ditko did this like really great, like still kind of, I think, unbeatable art that helped shape the world that we then see Scott Derrickson bring to life in this film. And so off the like off the top, I just think that it was a really bold direction for those creators to go in. Um, that said, you know, having read some Doctor Strange comics over the years, you know, Doctor Strange has had different incarnations and, you know, sometimes he's sort of like the stoic mystic leader and sometimes he kind of verges on Tony Stark. And I was always really curious leading up to this film to see how they were going to paint that character in the MCU. And and I feel like um you know they they hit a good they hit a good balance there. It maybe leans a bit more in the in the kind of like quasi Tony Stark direction. No doubt. There's definitely similarities. There was a one joke I heard was <laughs> uh like after Ant-Man they said you've seen Iron Man but small. <laughs> uh now see Iron Man on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Um, is it safe to say, Robbie, that from a, you know, when we talk about the comics nerds, um, unfortunately, I'm not one of them, although I would love to claim that. We'll, we'll that, get you there. We'll get you that there. That title. <laughs> uh, it, it, was this a character, if you can take yourself back to 2016, Robbie, um, was this a character y'all were waiting for, or was it a surprise? Um, I think, you know, we've talked about how I felt whenever um, we found out that Thor was going to have his own film. I, I maybe had similar trepidation when I heard about Doctor Strange because, like I said, there have just been a lot of, of a lot of versions of it. But the biggest concern that I had, and, and the reason why I wasn't necessarily expecting a Doctor Strange movie to answer your question, is that like just to take the leap into, you know, like quote unquote magic and to open up the MCU to the existence of that is it may be just the biggest leap that we've had in the entire franchise because like even though everything you know it's always you've got aliens coming in through a portal in the sky like it's not like we're living in a <laughs> hyper realistic universe but at least like they've tried ever since the first Iron Man film to root everything in some way in kind of more of a sci-fi yes. um sensibility one way they can pull that off, Robbie, I think, is is by making these rules like we always talk about, right? So that's like one thing that bothers me about Loki's magic is I don't seem to understand what the limits of it are. Whereas in this film, I think right away off the, off the bat, they kind of set the rules from the ancient one's mouth of what's happening with the mirror dimension and all that. You know what I mean? So that's right. why I think it stays that's accessible for me. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's a great point. And what I was going to say um, is that I, I think... Given those concerns, as often happens, um, I thought that that this movie does a really, really great job of kind of taking your hand and leading you into this stuff without it feeling like a major break, 
from what you've seen, even though, again, like if you were to compare this to the first Iron Man film, it would be really hard to imagine those being in the same universe. Right. But now, you know, we get to where we can see Iron Man standing next to Doctor Strange and it's not weird, you know? But you know what? We're, as a viewer, we're kind of ready for it now. That's an interesting thought, right? Like, this yeah. could, this never could have been the movie they led the MCU with, right? But it's sure, definitely one they sure. could have made in 2016 in Phase 3. It probably is very fitting that this is the last origin story, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's kind of why I asked the question to Ravi was I'm wanting to I'm wanting a barometer of like how was this on par with Guardians in the sense that we said it's a little risky. Uh, I think the answer sounds it's still yeah it's still yes was a little risky. Um, but to your point, I think I think the content that the movie covered and the visuals and all that could still have been kind of jarring or like wait what's happening. And right. I never had that response. I It was jarring in a good way, <laughs> but right. no, I never totally. was taken out of the film. No doubt. And the character is definitely much more well-known um, than any of the Guardians. Uh, you know, it Got was it. leading into that. Um, That's a good point. Hmm. One thing that I just, I want to note because I, I wrote this down watching it, having been someone that that's read Dr. Strange comments, the eye of Agamotto is like basically always associated with Doctor Strange. Like he always has that amulet and Agamotto is like, you know, the original Sorcerer Supreme. And so that's like, you know, there are different explanations in the comics of where that's come from and what exactly the amulet does and so on. But I never expected at all that they were going to make that into the time stone, which has never been the case in the comics. Oh, I love that. Okay, so I think we're already there, but uh, let's just, I want to hear from you guys what worked for you. We talked about how the visuals are already stunning, and we talked about the score, but I think another thing that helps keep this crazy movie grounded are the performances. Like, top to bottom, they're pretty amazing. Instantly, like, right off the bat, I just feel the chemistry between Benedict Cumberbatch and Rachel McAdams. But it's not just them. It's, I mean, Tilda Swin with the Ancient One. I love her role. I love the Ancient One. Caecilius so is uh, a really good performance. We can get into the villain in a little bit. I think in a lot of ways, the performance is what keeps the villain working versus the plot of the villain. Right. Um, yeah. And then Wong is fun. There's just a lot of really good performances up and down this movie. By the way, how much do you love that the guy that plays Wong's last name is Wong? I love it so much. <laughs> I saw that earlier on IMDb. Or that they're both named Benedict. Right, yes, right, right. I know. I, yeah, I think the, as we've said before, the cast is amazing. I love Rachel. Rachel and, McAdams is great. Right. I think she's awesome in this movie. I, like, I totally buy her relationship with him and, and the emotional, um, like, delivery from her. And it's important to point out that both of them are kind of unique casting choices because it's not like Rachel McAdams is normally in these kind of films and it's not really like Benedict Cumberbatch right. is always in these kind of roles, right. you know? Yep, agreed. Yeah, I mean, I I want to say one more thing about Tilda Swinton, Kyle, just because um, I do think the writing for that character is is good and, and so I don't want to discount that. But what she does really elevates the writing. Like she has these little micro expressions, these little kind of like grins after she says something or the delivery where it like it takes what I think would be a good character and makes it into a character that is really charming and one that I actually enjoy a lot more than I think I would have expected coming into this movie. And I want to add to that, that in a lot of ways, like we said, this is kind of like a typical origin story plot-wise with um, Dr. Strange's actual character. You know, you have a guy who's really arrogant and he's got to get humbled. And I'm not belittling that. I'm just saying where the movie gets really fun for me is the ancient one and her 
character drawing from the dark side or whatever to use that power, that dark energy. I kind of right. love where it starts messing with that idea of the gray area again. You know, like that's where oh, good point. I really like this movie. So not just her performance, but also the plot points around her. The ancient one for me was a huge win. My understanding in the comics was um, you have a an Asian, an, an elderly Asian guy. Right, right. Um, right. So maybe at the time they, they thought this is a character we need to kind of reimagine. But uh, so I love the choice that they made. Where you get yeah. this woman and you and she's bald and it's just like <laughs> it, not just viscerally but like uh, just who she is and then just echoing what Robbie said I think she's a phenomenal character the scene where she's dying spoiler alert oh. um, if you're listening to this you've watched the movie um, <laughs> right. when she's dying and they're on the balcony with the lightning and the helicopter in the background one of my favorite scenes in the entire MCU Beautiful and then scene. I'll just yeah. add that I think. One of the main reasons she's even added in the way she is, you could argue in Endgame that it worked because of where the stones were. Um, but I think bringing her back for Endgame in large part was because of what a cool character it is and how good she does with it. I literally right. got chills just from listening to you bring up that scene when she turns to him <laughs> and says, it's not about you. That scene yeah. has gotten more and more beautiful for me with each watch for some reason. It really yeah. hit home this time. I that agree with turning you, yeah. point right there. And then just when she's, it's kind of sad how she's talking about how she's seen up until this point, but she can never see beyond it because she knows she dies. That just, There's a lot of beauty in that, that scene. Yep. But even Robbie, like her acting and the little facial expressions you made, or your comment about her little mannerisms took me back to the scene when they're first meeting. Uh, or not first meeting, she's kind of convinced him, and so he's back in now. He's been tossed out, and he's back right. in, and he's sitting face-to-face, -face and he goes, how do I get from here to there? And she says, how did you become a doctor? He said, study and practice years of it. And she, her reaction is just, she just kind of raises her eyebrows and looks away, like darts back, and basically yeah, saying, like, right. well, that's what it's going to take. Like, yeah, and it's those right. little pieces that you can't, I don't think you can coach. Yes. Um, that make yeah. it such a great diet, such a great interaction. This is a really weird side note, but I kind of love that he has to train still. Cause I feel like with, with something like a multiverse, it could be as easy as like he learns something and snaps his fingers and knows how to do it. I love that he needs years of training and practice. I know that's a weird detail, but you know what I mean? Well, how many times right. do we get that with a character? I would argue not often, you know, there, we get development in other ways, but like we never get to see or understand Tony Stark except maybe a, one scene in the first movie where he's tinkering with the stuff. Um, right. But I like the idea that yeah, there's a, a mental point. side of this. He's a student. He has to be a student of the of his powers, which is cool. Right. I want to point out right here at this point the differences between Doctor Strange and Tony Stark because obviously they're very similar. Yeah. I was struck on this watch that. They make Doctor Strange the beginning just more mean. Like, I know they're both full of themselves, but he comes off as just mean. Remember that scene with Rachel McAdams where he freaks out at her when she's trying oh. to help? Oh, isn't it? Oh you know, and he's gosh. yelling at her. Yeah, it's, it, it's really so rude. Much. Yes. Yeah. Right, right. You care so much, don't you? Yeah, it's brutal. Um, but it does make his transformation that much more powerful. And I love that in one movie, we go from that extreme to he's going to become kind of all wise. And so that was one thing that I got really pumped about seeing. There's three characters in the MCU, and this is maybe a hot take again, that I actually <laughs> really love the character more than I love their film. 
and Doctor Strange is one of them. Black Panther mm-hmm. and Ant-Man are the others. Where I, I liked all the movies, but I was really actually looking forward to seeing them interact with my other characters more than anything. And Infinity War, that's one of the, my favorite things about it, is just getting to see Doctor Strange and Tony Stark together because they're so similar yet different <laughs> in some ways. Uh, well, kind of like hot taking off your hot take. <laughs> my <laughs> my thought during the film in, in the similar vein was how Doctor Strange has been knocked for being so similar to, you know, Iron Man on drugs. Um, but like, I love the payoff we get in Endgame because he's so similar um, and yet different. And the way I think his emotional arc probably just happens faster. It goes from like one extreme to the other quicker where Tony's yes, is drawn out yeah. over, you know, 20, 22 films. Uh, at the end of the film, I think he's come down um, emotionally. I think he's humbled. He gives a genuine apology um, to to Rachel McAdams. Yes, beautiful. Uh, but then I love the payoff we get in Endgame. I, I'm picturing the scene when they're on the spinning spaceship. They've just killed um, uh, Ebony Maw. And um, just the emotional contrast, how different he is. Tony Stark is very sarcastic and quippy. Right. And Doctor Strange is just resolved. He's like just flatline. We always talk about how the Marvel hero is quippy. So they have to make him different in some way. And so you made the joke about Ant-Man too. But the way they differentiated to me is like Ant-Man is quippy, but he's like a super nice but no, guy. Right. No, but my like point is think bad... of the scene in the Sanctum Sanctorum at the beginning of Infinity War. Nobody gives it back to Tony like Doctor Strange does, which I love. Correct, correct. And right. th- agreed, agreed. That's what I'm saying. They made him more of a jerk and yeah, he, he comes a long way yeah. to that point. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way, but I like that. Did you guys catch all the focus on his hands? Like on this rewatch, yeah. I didn't realize how much they hint his hands. And I think it's so cool. Even the very last scene, his hands are shaking post-surgery, yeah. basically saying he has given up this power to, mm. to heal himself. Yeah. I love yeah. that on this you rewatch. You know the other thing that I, that I love that is highlighted through the whole movie is, is we see all these shots of watches. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's so cool because like, well, I mean, one of the first shots is him opening up that drawer of just like amazing watches that I'm immediately super jealous. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then like, you know, and obviously at that point you have no idea that, that the movie is going to end up introducing the time stone and the time is going to play such a big role in the film. But I think it's so cool because you get shots all through and like the watch that almost gets stolen and then cracked yeah, but, and kind of oh, what that symbolizes. Love, so this may, be, really cool. this may be too, too deep, but like this was my deep... I love that we're talking about this. And I don't know that they intended to do this, but if you think of a watch, because I noticed that as well, Robbie, if you think of a watch as super linear, the hands of the clock hit the same numbers all day, every day. It's it's very mm-hmm. set. It's it is, I think, an imagery of who Doctor Strange was and the the conversation that the ancient one has with him, where she says, um, "You've been looking at the world through a keyhole and spent your whole life through knowledge and wisdom trying to widen the keyhole." And now on being told that it can be widened oh, just in a way that you don't like, you you don't accept it. And I think when when Chiwetel hands him the watch that's cracked, I literally got chills watching the movie where I'm like, it's his um it's his perception of life is now cracked. And it's that hmm. you, you know what I mean? And it's it's oh, a new I like you're that. gonna take something like linear that. and we're gonna literally put a new lens on oh, it. Oh, there's so many good metaphors <laughs> with that cracked watch. At the very end, when he puts yeah. it back on, again, like accepting that he's not fully healed, but the yes. cracked watch is still there. 
Oh, there's a lot of beautiful stuff with that watch. Kyle, you're right. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to chill, chill, chill right now. I know, yes. <laughs> well, and not to mention coming off of the standoff with Dormammu where he did break time. Right, right. Yeah. It's like a full embracing and playing off the time and his character growth and all that. I also love in that scene, by the way, when he says, what is this? And he goes, oh, this is the Wi-Fi password. We're not savages. <laughs> that's, that's probably my favorite joke in the whole movie. <laughs> yes. It's incredible. Um, I do want to say, um, you know, we, we've talked about most of the cast uh, except for Mads Mikkelsen. And I do want to, I want to say that his performance is also like really great. Like I said at the top here, I think that this cast is particularly good and I think makes what to me is like a pretty good movie a lot better. Um, and like specifically, you know, kind of in similar ways to Tilda Swinton, um, it's like there are these scenes, like the scene where where he's talking to Doctor Strange and they do the whole back and forth where His it's name. like Mr. Doctor and it's like, it's strange, maybe, yes. who am I to right. judge? Yes. <laughs> like, I, I think that's such a funny scene and it's like the way that he that he plays it is just like pitch perfect to me. But Robbie, he's not trying to be funny, which is the best. Right, right. right How about right. he throws that chain on him he's like, you don't know what this does, do you? <laughs> right. right after he's <laughs> Kind of to bounce off something Kyle said a little bit earlier, I I just love the idea, kind of like we talked about The Last Jedi, Robbie. I love the idea of the theme of this movie being the gray area and failure. And like Doctor Strange, like Kyle said, has got everything like his watch lined up. He knows how to solve everything with his mind. He's perfect, right? And then that gets wrecked. And by the end, when he has that scene with Dormammu and he says, you can't win. And Doctor Strange says, no, but I can lose again and again and again mm-hmm. and again. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. There's just a, a, yeah, a beautiful work there done with the gray area. And, and again, like with the ancient one and how Mordo can't handle the gray area, you know? And Doctor right, Strange kind of right. can eventually em- embrace it with the ancient one. And I don't know, I just love that theme. Yeah, yeah. that's a, yeah, that's a great point. I haven't thought about that that way either. But man, you guys are unlocking all sorts of different <laughs> perspectives on this movie for me. So to kind of transition off that though, I didn't personally love Dormammu. Do you guys love Dormammu? Like when it kind of shows up eventually, I'm kind of like, what? And like... Kaecilius is really well acted and it's funny and Mads does a really good job with it, but the villain itself is kind of falling into all those typical things we talk about, Robbie. Like villain Dormammu and Kaecilius just want to take over the world and right. And you don't get a ton of background on why and I don't know well, and how do you guys feel about is, that. I mean they explicitly say that Kaecilius is sort of like dark Doctor Strange. Like they they have similar personalities. Yes, yes similar it's dark Doctor Strange, and, exactly. Yeah. From what I understand in the comics is that Dormammu had quite a different take. I think in the movie, one of my frustrations, Kyle, to your point, on Dormammu specifically is he's so abstract. He's just like, we get kind of a face. It's so weird. But his size and scope, and it's why I think Thanos works so well, is because they give us a more tangible villain. Dormammu's not. And then I think as far as Kaecilius goes, um, my take is pretty straightforward. It's just I think it falls into the typical origin story traps where you're trying to develop so many characters. We get development on Mordo, and we're getting development on the Ancient One, and obviously Doctor Strange, that you're just not going to get a fully developed villain, I think, is one of the big reasons um, that it doesn't work for me. Mordo's character in his turn is almost more interesting to me as a viewer than Kaecilius. Not that he's better right. acted, but 
I'm almost more interested to see like what that means when he kind of gets jaded by well, the whole and, thing. And so I will say from the comic book perspective, you know, Dormammu and Mordo are the two, I would say, with, with maybe the addition of Nightmare, who I think is supposed to appear in the second Doctor Strange film, are the main Doctor Strange villains that I think most casual comic readers would think of. One of the unfortunate things about uh, the first film or like the origin story for these characters is I think often they're automatically paired with their kind of arch nemesis. You know, so it's like whether that's Captain America and the Red Skull or whether that's, you know, like even like the old Spider-Man movies and the Green Goblin or whatever, it's like, mm-hmm. and, and you get why that would happen. But at the same time, it kind of robs you a lot of the time of the opportunity to build that villain in the way that would actually be the most impactful. And so it feels a bit like a wasted opportunity to me here because I think Dormammu is such a big part of the Doctor Strange mythos. And it does like, I yeah, I am with you. I, I thought the kind of abstract, just destructive force was not super compelling. And I would have liked to have seen him given a, a bit more treatment. But then again, I totally understand why that was impossible within the confines of this one movie that, like we've said, already had a lot of other things to do. And a lot of other things that were done well. And just to reiterate how forgettable it is, like I've never heard somebody bring up Dormammu since this movie. <laughs> like you right. don't ever, you don't ever say like, well, what if Dormammu gets stronger? Or I love Dormammu. <laughs> I just never hear about it. It's just kind of forgettable. Right. Well, yeah. let me ask you guys this: Does this? And I'm segueing a little bit into a connected conversation, but it's one I've heard you all have a lot on the podcast. Um, and get ready for it because it's coming right here. Like Thor 2, The Dark World, <laughs> do, do we get in Doctor Strange like a potential world-ending catastrophe? We do, um, we do. Now, I don't know that in this one it makes sense to call the Avengers because you're dealing with something, you know, right, in there. Right, right, uh, which is a big difference. What does difference. he say? We protect the world from more... Yes, yes. I was going to say, Kyle, I have that written down under what works, though, is I love that they say the line, while heroes like the Avengers, yeah. dot, dot, dot. And they, you know, I at least like that they acknowledge it yep. again. It's tied in. Agreed. But yes, it, it, I don't ever get the feeling of like, call the Avengers because this doesn't seem like something the Avengers would help right. with. Yeah. And I would tend to agree. I think it's just worth, it's worth asking the question and obviously worth mentioning Thor 2. I th- <laughs> I but think yes, the, the stakes the stakes do get raised unnecessarily high. Well, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually fine with that because I think it shows what Doctor Strange is capable of doing. Like it, it doesn't, like Thor 2 for sure feels unnecessarily high. This doesn't feel unnecessarily high to me because it just kind of like, almost like to your point, it highlights exactly the difference between what Doctor Strange does and what Tony Stark and the Avengers do. And I think that's good to know. And it's good to know kind of like his power set, you know, shout out to Kyle who loves that. And yes, I was just going to bring it up. I was going to bring it up right now. Well, I was going to say like, that's one of my favorite things about Infinity War is because you watch a movie like this and my mind right away goes to, how does this work? Like, like what, what is Doctor Strange's power in a world where there's Iron Man? Like, if they were to fight, how does that work? It's confusing. And somehow Infinity War, like, pulls it off. You know what I'm saying? Like, he fits in without me ever questioning, even though this movie kind of gives you a little bit of cause, like you're saying, for people like me who are obsessed with that stuff. Right. I'm a little bit like, huh, what? (laughs) Robbie, to go back to what you said, or to tee off of that, um, maybe an interesting 
point you just kind of unlocked this for me is if if the downside or what we knock Thor 2 for is that it's a world-ending catastrophe, the solution to which, I think as Kyle, if, how do you normally put it? <laughs> Throwing spikes. <laughs> um, <laughs> if that's the knock on Thor 2, I give so many points to Doctor Strange for giving us um, maybe one of the best scenes in the MCU, uh, I've come to bargain. Like, is just phenomenal. Like, it's yeah. such a fun uh, scene and a fun take on the moment being frozen in time. Um, it is a really good twist on how they actually defeat Dormammu. Because it's like if he had like shot lasers out of his hands to kill him, it would have been kind of weird. Right. I did like that, Kyle. You're right. so right to like for have having him an abstract say, villain. Like, how do you just beat an abstract pain. villain? Right, right. That is really clever. That's a good point. Yeah, no, I think that that is that's kind of what ultimately saves it for me. And I think that there's a little bit, like not a ton. But a little bit of nuance in kind of why Caecilius is trying to hand the world over to Dormammu, like like this searching for eternal life and this idea that he thinks it's it's going to unlock something for him rather than just end in destroy. Like in Thor two, you know, we just have this idea of like we want everything to be dark because we <laughs> like it more that way. Sure. Well, and, uh, and I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe almost kind of approaches Doctor Strange and these things with a wink a little bit. Sure. In other yeah, movies, yeah, yeah. like even the post credit scene, which is so fun when Thor's there and he's filling up the right. beer. And but Thor says, "Oh, so Earth has wizards now." Right. And it's kind That's of like line. this. Yes, it's a great line. By the way, the post credit <laughs> scene is just so fun because I'm getting these characters together. Yes. Yes. Um, but also, but but then not just that. There's other times like Infinity War when he says, "What do you do besides make balloon animals?" And there's just kind of a wink to the "Oh, Earth has wizards" thing that I appreciate. No, totally. I feel that. So tell me what else? What else? Kind of in the same vein didn't work for you guys as we talk about the villain or the plot. So I I have a hard time, kind of, and we'll get with this whenever we rank it. But I have a hard time with this movie because like we've covered, like the, the performances are amazing, the visuals are amazing. But this, like if you were to ask me, like what is a, what is an MCU film? Just like, like what is like your average kind of like standard formulaic Marvel movie? Iron I would kind of offer, see, <laughs> no, okay, but yes, but I would offer up Doctor Strange. As like, okay, you know, some of the things that Kyle already touched on, it's like the origin story. You have the arrogant guy that then is brought low and then comes back and learns like how to care about more than himself and also becomes a superhero in the process. And it's like, I think these are the things that might lead people to say that these tend to hit the same beats. And again, I, I you know, I'm sure. hedging there because there's a lot this movie does that's really bold and I don't want to take away from that. But it is like, you know, I, as much as like I do appreciate the relationship he has with uh, Christine here, but it's not all that different from the relationship that Tony and Pepper have, bef you know, like early no. on. Nope. And <laughs> I, I, but to Robbie's point, Robbie, another one of the jokes I heard on the film was um, comparing it to Iron Man. Uh, Arrogant billionaire falls in love with redheaded subordinate. Right. <laughs> uh, I forget, but basically, like it's the same thing all over again. Yeah. Um, to, so I see what you're saying. I mean, I think one of the um, pushbacks I would have on that is that because I know we have the was it Scorsese or Tarantino had his issues, and right, it's like right. Scorsese. We go to these films to be entertained, and so sometimes just because something's cliche or been done before doesn't mean it's bad. 
Um, and we're still going to get to go see movies that really push the boundaries and like oh, go sure. over the edge. Or I will acknowledge that point, but there's a reason people still go. And I don't think it's just because it's like cotton candy and fluff. There is substance to it. It's just, like you said, it, it has been done before. Um, and there and is like you could maybe knock it for that. But. There is some great substance here, and that's why you know, like I, I certainly enjoy the movie. It makes it hard for me to rank it as high as some other movies. Like, yeah, sure. Because yeah. like, and I don't know if you guys agree here. It's it's like hard for me to say this because there are several really emotional and like really cool moments in this. Like, I'm specifically thinking of that snowing scene that you talked about earlier, Kyle, with mm-hmm. the ancient one. Yeah, but like, I. If I'm thinking of all of the characters that we've been introduced to, you know, at this point from from Endgame looking back, like, I just don't care a ton about Stephen Strange emotionally. Like, I'm interested yeah. in it. I think it's like it opens up some really interesting horizons and, like, I, uh, I like I, what it does. I, I don't, like, if, if you were to compare this to the way I feel about any of the main Avengers, to the way I feel about Spider-Man to the way I feel mm. about T'Challa. Like I, and and Kyle, I know you might, yeah, I think mm. you and I maybe have inverse relationships to Black Panther and Doctor Strange in this regard. I think we do. Um, I think we do. But well, I, I think that's fair to say, Robbie. I, I love Black Panther as a character. I just don't know if it's my favorite movie. That's where we differ there. But for some reason, maybe it's because it's kind of like Tony Stark. I do feel more tied to it. I feel more and more emotionally invested. When he holds up the one finger to Tony Stark at the end of the movie, that's a really powerful moment for me in Endgame. Hmm. So it's like done work for me to resonate with him by then. So I think we do just disagree there a little bit. I also want to say that I am just thankful because I agree with your premise that this is a very average Marvel movie, but then I'm just thankful that this is the average Marvel movie then. Because if this is just average, it's still really well done with amazing visuals, yeah, amazing yeah. performances. So then I'm like, that just makes me happy. Like, yeah, it's not the best one. You're going to see my ranking. It's not. But I'm thankful that's where we're at. I, I, I guess what it made me realize is that you know, and we t- people will know this at this point from the way we talk about it, but it's like the my own pushback, I think, against the Scorsese criticism is that like so much of what Marvel does well is like the emotional investment, like character building piece. And when that is missing for me, the movies suddenly do become just like fun superhero movies, but not the movies that I will find myself like really bought into. And so sure. like the fact that I just that don't I think don't, it's like, missing though. But I'm just, but, but to me, I mean, and it's not just because it's like a one movie thing. Like I immediately was invested in Peter Quill, like in all the guardians and you know, like from, from the first movie, I was invested in Tony from the first movie. I was invested in cat from the first movie in Spider-Man from his first appearance. Like, but there's just something about this one where it's like, it's not that I dislike the character. I actually think that abstractly the character is really interesting, but something about it is just like, there's not an emotional core for me. If we're going to compare it to Tony, like I finished Iron Man and I was like, man, I want to see more of that guy. Like, Okay, not it's, because it's, of how cool Iron Man was, but because of how much I connected to Tony Stark. It's obviously not Tony Stark here. level. But I liked how because they are so similar in vibe, by the end of Doctor Strange's story, not just this movie, but all of the movies, they butt heads so much. I don't know. I just sure, I do emotionally sure. connect with it. So, I mean, not the Tony Stark level, obviously. Here's my take on the and yeah, I agree with Kyle. It's not on the it's kind of comparing apples and oranges, but in the same way, in Robbie, I'm taking a guess at maybe what you're feeling. I could be wrong. Uh, I'm gonna. This is gonna be polarizing, and I might alienate 
uh, people who have not watched Sherlock, uh, if you haven't, it's one of the greatest things ever. Oh, yeah, I love Sherlock. Um, no doubt. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to say two very opposite things. One, I think Benedict Cumberbatch is incredible. He's one of the greatest actors there is. I love him so much. Me too. As mm-hmm. a performer. However, I would tell you that there are certain roles that I don't think he's as good in. Um, maybe the word would be versatile. I don't think he's the most versatile. Based on what I just said, one of the best actors, I don't think he's one of the most versatile. Hmm. Um, and maybe you could say okay, that about out. a lot of actors, but no, Kyle, like, here's here's my point. I think when you look at Sherlock, he's he plays the intellectual, heady, almost robotic, which is somewhat similar to where Doctor Strange ends up, um, character that has a heart, where you know throughout the show, like, he's he's kind of a jerk at times. He leaves Watson out to dry, but he really loves oh, him. Oh, for sure. Like, he acts in his best interest. He wants to protect him. That's the Doctor Strange we finish the film with. Um but I, I don't, I would kind of agree with Robbie a little bit that I don't buy maybe the same emotional depth in early scenes as I do at the end when I think on the balcony, hmm. I do buy it. Okay, so I agree with you guys too. I wrote down in my notes specifically that as Stephen Strange, I think Benedict is perfect. While he's learning that middle bit, it's not 100% perfect. It's a little wonky at times. So I'm yeah. kind of with you that like the beginning doctor who's, arrogant and mean and when we ultimately end up with him being wise and I like those versions of Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. The middle part for me is not perfect. But again, I like this movie. That's so. a good that's a good point cuz for instance and this might be controversial. I don't actually love the running like Beyonce gag in this movie. I've never found it super <laughs> <Yes>. funny. <laughs> My only other note was that the humor is sometimes slightly off, Robbie. Yeah. That was what I was thinking of. Yeah, and the Kaecilius Doctor Strange humor is funnier to me. I agree. Yes. Any, even when Wong laughs at the end, it does nothing. It right. doesn't get me at all. <laughs> Again, but the humor gets so much better with him as a character and him as an actor in the other movies. To me, yeah. there's funnier Tony Stark in Doctor Strange moments than in this movie. So I don't. I think it's more the movie than it is the character for me. Yeah, and and if you know, I, I know it's apples and oranges to compare Tony. At this point, like at like post Endgame, Tony to post Endgame, Doctor Strange. I'm I was trying to look at it more in terms of like after one film with a character, how invested am I in the character? And I just think that Doctor Strange is one of the is one of the ones that like I'm least invested in following that first solo film. Which again, I love all these movies, so that that shouldn't be overly negative because I'm invested in all the characters. But it's just that that is kind of where it falls. Um, let's go back to thinking about how this is one of the last origin movies in phase three. And when I compare it to, like we said, Black Panther, Spider-Man, but Captain Marvel, which is not our phase three, but it's in the original phase three. Um, you know, there's something about Benedict for me and the character, because they're both kind of like arrogant Captain Marvel and him. There's something about Benedict that right when it starts off, I'm kind of intrigued and I'm drawn in. Whereas something about me gets a little drawn out from Captain Marvel. And it's hard to not compare those because of the timeline these are coming out in. Yeah, no, that's, that's. I mean, I think that it, these movies fall in very similar territory for me. Okay, so before we get into rankings, one, it, what worked for me, I have to mention, because we haven't said it yet, The Cloak of Levitation. Oh, yes, yeah. so cool. I absolutely love the the anthropomorphism of him, how he like he wipes his tear and he knows which weapon he should use. Yes. Um, 
it's just awesome. I think it's a phenomenal Kyle, addition. Did you see that that Benedict Cumberbatch actually a, a lot of that was his idea? Really? Uh, no, I did not. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I was I was reading some <laughs> stuff and they were saying that that was kind of he thought it would be funny to have the cloak have more of a personality. I kind of love that incredible. all these sorcerers have a weapon that chooses them. Yeah. And obviously it's in the comics, right? I mean, I've seen pictures. He's always got the cape on. Right, um, which is what makes that one moment when his theme yes, kicks up in. The, and up he the comes, staircase, yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> what makes it so cool, yeah. The last point I wanted to make was, I, we can just talk about where it takes us in the MCU. Um, I just think it has to be said that whether you love the movie or not, or wherever you rank it, you can't deny how cool, fully trained Doctor Strange is. And when he shows up even the next time, and, and some yes. time has passed, so the, the Thor... Uh, the Thor tease at the end is phenomenal. Yes. And then uh, obviously right. what we get in Endgame, in Infinity War and Endgame, um, it, what he does for the rest of the oh. MCU, what the movie does, like Kyle, you said earlier, maybe the payoff of the movie is better than the movie itself. Um, yes. It's so cool. I do want to say... Um, in terms of the in terms of the timing, you know, this is the first movie in in part three of our rewatch that will ultimately culminate with uh, Avengers: Infinity War and Avengers: Endgame. And this is one of the more controversial placements we have in our rewatch order because uh, a lot of people put it further down, or at least after Civil War, or even maybe like directly before Ragnarok because of that scene at the end. Yeah. But I really like this as setting the tone for what part three will give us. Like it's it's immediately expanding our universe markedly. And I think it like really kind of bookends in a way, you know, we've talked about kind of the same way that like Thor 2 is kind of bookended by what happens in Age of Ultron with Thor. Like I think introducing Doctor Strange here at the beginning and kind of having him in the background while all of this other stuff is going on with the Avengers and the Civil War and then meeting back up, you know, and seeing, like, the Soul Stone and all this other kind of trippy stuff. I think it makes part three of our rewatch feel a lot more kind of comprehensive. I don't know how you all felt about it. I guess we'll have to see, like, at the end, but how you felt about starting off with this movie. No, it feels good, and I think the last foundational point kind of tied to that is that it's such a fitting time and person to introduce us to kind of the last infinity stone, you know? So it, right. it makes sense for it to be there. And I like that in this rewatch that we get that out of the way kind of right away. Yeah. Um, so there is one more thing that that I thought doesn't work perfectly here. And I don't know how y'all feel about this, but I've always thought it, and it, it struck me again on this rewatch, the reveal to Christine in the OR, like whenever he shows up in his astral form, Mm-hmm. I feel like, like I know she's shocked, but it feels like she should be way more shaken up by like a floating, <laughs> transparent version of her ex boyfriend hovering over his <laughs> unconscious body. <laughs> uh, that's fair. I agree, but they do give us a little bit. They do, they do. I mean, and and I want to say this is a writing issue for me, not an issue with McAdam's performance. Like, I think given kind of like the scene that they create, she acts like as shocked as she can while still moving the story along. But I just think that like, and you know, yeah. I don't know if there's if there's a ready solution, but I'm just thinking like, I think this would like maybe just break her in that moment. <laughs> like, I'm not no, I'm sure just she thinking, would just although, be like, I'm thinking about the timing of this. Are we missing the fact that he first comes in in physical form in the outfit and kind of explains to her a, at least a little bit. So it's- Yeah, he does. It cushions the blow. Yeah, uh, I, know. Yeah. I actually yeah. with you, Robbie, but we're all right. Like you, a little bit wanted to be like, ah, like what the heck? 
Like that makes sense. But yeah. then, but they do give you the line. She's like, what's going on here? And what are you wearing? And then she screams and the broomstick falls over. And so they do give you some, but yes, No, totally. Right. And, and I, again, like I understand that it's like the nature of the movie. Like you just, you have to be able to, to move it along. It is just always kind of funny to me that like she's still yeah. performing surgery while also <laughs> like trying to comprehend the metaphysical nature of reality. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. <laughs> no, point taken. <laughs> All right. So I you know, I've already talked about how this one's a little bit difficult for me. Um and you know, the thing is, like, I like the movie. Like I, I watch it and every time I'm like, this is a cool movie and I enjoy it, but then I just look at all the other ones that I have for whatever reason more of a connection to. And I wind up ranking Doctor Strange at number seventeen. Out of twenty three. Wow! 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 <laughs> I know. I, I think I told you before we ever even started the podcast, Kyle, that I thought that would be one of the bigger the bigger gaps. But for Robbie, us. I feel a little tricked because we just talked for for an hour about the movie, and I it just it's it's a different flavor than what I feel like you've been giving us. <laughs> no, but that's the problem. Like I I, I think I, yeah. it's hard for me, <laughs> Kyle. You agree? Well, yeah, but I think part of the reason why he wanted you to be on this episode. I feel like I just had a great date with a girl, and then she said, well, I'm not not that interested. We wanted you to be on this episode now because Robbie was trying to hide the fact that he hates this movie. No, no, movie. no, 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 no. <laughs> it's his, well, it's you his have fifth to understand. least favorite. What you have to understand is that I cannot overstate how much I love every Marvel movie. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> and so like, it's like you, but there are just a bunch of other ones. Like, I mean, obviously this is a far cry above like the incredible Hulk and Thor, like the bottom of the, of the barrel there, but it's like, okay. So what's I your have, number? My, my score is an 80. Okay. Oh, okay. So, so okay, if I'm remembering listening to all these episodes, uh, yes, Kyle, right. is, aren't yes. Robbie's most of his his whole scale is just shifted? His upward. scale is shifted. Like if he he likes the Marvel Cinematic Universe so much, like we all do, so he justifies that by just making all the scores higher. But then that like eighty <laughs> is seventeenth. You got to throw the ranking out, right? Okay, okay. So yeah, exactly. It's, okay, okay. So for Robbie, what's more important for our listeners is his where it fits compared to the other movies more than the score. That's what I think, but. Yeah, um, I mean, okay. I, I think yeah, but I, I I have been giving some more thought to my scores, <laughs> and I've gone back and, and to, I've gone back and tweaked the scores some. But I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I and I've lowered them because Kyle makes me feel guilty for having my top ones at like ninety six. I was gonna say yeah, the opposite argument can be made, Kyle, that his whole ranking is diluted because the purpose of a ranking is for someone to say, hey, should I go see this movie or the other? Robbie's just gonna be like, they're all great. Yeah, <laughs> just go see. <laughs> them. Just go watch them. I mean, well, it's true. I'm not gonna argue with you there. Um, his lows just aren't as low, and his highs aren't as high. I think is what it is. Sure. Um, okay, well, for me, I respect that. For, for context, me. though, I do want to say for, for context, <laughs> I have Doctor Strange right by Iron Man three and Guardians Volume two. Okay. Okay. So I agree with a ton of this. I think it's a really good movie. I think that it's kind of average in some ways, but there are other things about it that bring it up, as we talked about. So for me, I give it an 86%, but the big difference for me is that that sits at 12th of 23. So my range right now is it's above- That's a five-number difference. That's not massive. That's pretty big, bro. It's above Guardians 2 for me and just under Age of Ultron. Okay, interesting. That's interesting, yeah. Well, and again, with Robbie, we're saying we're sort of throwing out the score because what's more important on Robbie's list is where does it fall, which is a big, a five-spread difference is pretty big. To me, though, it's just, it's obviously better than Captain Marvel, Iron Man 3, 
Iron Man 2, that whole range. But we obviously yeah. differ. Kyle, how about you? Interesting. Yeah, so um, I think I shared this on the Guardians episode I was on, but mine fall into three tiers. I think it's similar for you guys, or you yep. said something like that before. Um, and so for me, it falls right at that line of kind of bottom of tier two. Oh, um, okay. Films. So for me, it lands uh, 13. Okay. All right. All right, guys. Come on. I'm not that crazy then. 14 <laughs> yeah, to yeah, 17? Yeah. 13. For me, it falls 13 okay. um, because I just moved. I think I had moved for uh, Captain America above it. It might be 12 for me. I, mine's still <laughs> in the works. But my ranking doesn't matter as much for the listeners. Let's say 13 for now. It might be 12. And uh, I gave it an 85. For me, what's important is I don't think it's a tier one movie. I think it's towards the top of tier two. So meaning if you think if this is your favorite Marvel movie, I'd question it a little bit. But I don't think you can put it down in the same range at the bottom of tier two with some of those other ones I just named for me. Sure. And so mine, mine is about midway through tier two. Okay. Well, that was fun. <laughs> love it. I do. Thanks love for it. having me on, guys. Yeah, hey, Kyle. It's always here. our pleasure. It's always really fun. All right, guys. So next time we're on this podcast, we're at that really weird spot where if you haven't seen Guardians two yet that's what you'd be watching and go back and listen to that episode. But if you have already, we're going to be talking about Ant-Man. So that is kind of another left turn in a way from what we just discovered in this episode. So that'll be fun to talk about. Little Paul Rudd action. Right. But not not as far as you as you might think as we kind of get into the, the microverse. Yeah. yeah it becomes important. You know, yeah. But as always, we love you all. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe to our podcast. Uh, hit us up on all social media at the FFW Podcast. And we will see you next time on Friends from Work. Friends from Work.